0: I am from beyond. Listen, and all you desire will be yours. Welcome to spider Down and the Secret Wars. Prepare for battle. Welcome to Prattle World. I'm your host, the ever-amazing, the ever-spectacular Spider-Dan, and in this podcast I spotlight entertainment's best kept secrets that a mainstream audience may find boring. Welcome back, guys. This is me again. You're back with the Renegade Master uh, Dan once again. Um so yes, um I've debuted my first podcast. Uh, last week and I would like to thank everybody that's downloaded, everybody that's listened on all the various platforms. It took me a while to get it on everything. um, I was hoping that when I started on Podbean that they, they misled me a little bit, they said that it would be available in several different platforms kind of once it had been uploaded, that wasn't the case, I had to do it manually. So yeah, so I've put it on, we're now available on Spotify, we're available, we, it's just me again, nobody else here, minus the elf with a gun at the window who's forcing me to do the podcast, <laughs> we're available on Spotify, iTunes, Stitch and Podbean, I'm looking into other platforms if they are free. Uh, or at least a little cheaper, Uh, and possibly going to put something on YouTube in the future. But I just want to thank everybody that's downloaded, everybody that's took the time to listen to it, all the constructive criticism I've had, and and all the compliments as well. I do do take that on board, so thank you very much for all your support, and just basically listening to me waffle on and on, Uh, which is probably the thing I do best. Uh, my biggest strength and my biggest weakness. Um, yeah, so let's start off the, with the show, as I like to start off all the shows, with The Secret Boar Journal. Dear Secret Boar Journal Okay, so yes, yeah, so this week I've been a bit busier. Uh, in regards to geek culture than I was the previous week, but as I said, I was busy doing a play, rehearsing and being in a play. Um, so yeah, uh, what have I been doing? So, uh, so speaking of plays, uh, I had to go and record some uh, some songs, basically, and dialogue from from a play I did back in, oh gosh, July? July? June? I think it was July. And uh, it was called Westernized, so it's kind of a, imagine Blazing Saddles, but a, a play version of that with uh, a lot of kind of wacky spoof antics, uh, songs and various other things. I played the bartender, which I also served drinks at the bar um, to give it that kind of immersive experience, so that was before the show and during the interval. Um, I also played the villain of the piece, an Irish, um, <coughs> an Irish kind of racist bar owner. Um, obviously it's very it's very much a satire of the times very much uh, it's, it's not you know it's not offensive in that way but we know we're, we're poking fun at the way the West was. Uh, so yeah now it's a lot of fun and uh, if you like uh, Red Dead Redemption, it's probably right up your alley. I don't know if we're doing it again possibly uh, but there is going to be an album that's uh, the company's called Death by Pie. I recommend following them online because I'm basically a part of it as well Uh, and we do those kind of spoofs we've done a haunted house spoof we've done a uh, noir detective spoof about the NHS. So we do lots of kind of fun shows, and and they're not necessarily shows for the theatre goer. We kind of we try to open it up. Uh, Nathan Smith is our leader, uh, director, writer, producer. Uh, the rest of us are just basically in it and do what we can and add our own spin on things, and you know. but it's very much a collaborative process. Um, but yeah, it's, it was a really good show. So I went down to, uh, to his flat and to record um, songs and dialogue and stuff, and it was really fun. And he posted uh, <laughs> me recording some some <laughs> dialogue and some bits of the song out of context. So <laughs> so it looks really weird. And one of the lines is just breakfast. Um, so just me shouting breakfast uh, <laughs> to to nothing. But obviously I've got the headphones on and I can hear all all the songs and all the bits of pieces that's going along with that um, but yeah, and uh, after that we decided we, well I decided <laughs> that we were going to watch my friend uh, Daniel Keatis, or at DL Keatis on Twitter lent me the Blu-ray of The Death of Superman, so which is a new uh, DC animated movie um, they have done it before, they've done an adaptation which we called Superman Doomsday, which I really liked, um, but this one is a little, little more in line with the comics, a little closer to the comics, and there's going to be a sequel that's going to include um, all the Superman replacements Reign of the Superman. It's called. Uh, so that one I'm actually looking forward to because the Superman doomsday didn't really include those characters, and I do quite like those characters as well. Uh, has a, as a, but they they don't hold a candle to the original, obviously. Um, but yeah, so that's that was my week. When see. Oh, what else was in my week? No, there's there's more. There is more. Um, I got double glazing. Finally, I live in a kind of a small uh, one bedroom flat, and last winter. I almost roasted it, I'll be honest. It was so, so cold. Um, you know, I had to get electric blankets and heaters and hot water bottles and all sorts, just anyth- anything I could do to kind of uh, uh, just keep the-, the warmth in the house. You know, my bills were sky high. Uh, um, yeah, it was, a- it was a nightmare. But my landlord was like, yeah, yeah, we'll get it done in August. And I'm like, fair enough, in August. August came, are you going to do that double glazing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, good. September, you double glazing? Any chance? Yeah, 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 yeah definitely, definitely. Uh, and then the last month, I've just been texting him every week just to make sure it's happening before he got you know to January December time February. Would be you know freezing my bollocks off. Uh, but he has done it, thank God. And it is a bit. It's a. It's a bit warmer, not loads, but uh, but it's be- better than it was. But yeah, so uh, yeah. And also, what else? What else have I been up to? Oh yeah, yeah. I've uh, I've set up in rego- in relation to the alternativity stories, hashtag alternativity stories that I'm doing, uh, up until the new year, I'm gonna do uh, I'm doing a, a charity I'm basically raising money for your children in need. Uh, it's on JustGiving.com. If you type in Santa Hat Challenge, uh, I should come up. Um, I'll also post the link. I think I already have on Twitter and Facebook. So give that a look. Um, basically, I'm trying to ri- raise a thousand pounds for children in need because uh, about ten years ago I did a full body wax for charity. Never again, and I wouldn't recommend doing it. Ruined my skin for ages. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, and I was very. I'll tell you what. I was cold when I. Had I do have a surplus amount of body hair, um, not to get too graphic. Uh, so I did. I decided to do all that. So and uh, I was in a lot of pain. But yeah, I was also I felt like you know, like a shaved, I don't know, animal or something. Because I was just freezing. Or oh, like no, no matter what the, where I was, I was just so used to having covered in this kind of. <sighs> coat of hair uh, that I just froze anywhere I went. Um, so, so yeah, I didn't want to do that again. So I've decided to, if I can raise over, if you know, we can raise everybody involved. If we can raise over a thousand pounds before Boxing Day, that's the deadline. Uh, I will wear a Santa hat for a year now. When it comes to Christmas, as I have said in the previous podcast, I don't really like it mentioned or said or brought up prior to December. I'm a bit of a green no, I'm not that grinchy, but I'm a little grinchy that way. I hate the people online that are just counting down to Christmas. I'm like, come on, get a life. Wait for the other holidays to be done. Wait for Bonfire Night, wait for Halloween to be over at least. Give us them. And you know, I just I just think they, you know, just keep it in that month. That's the Christmas month. That's that's it, you know. Um so I will happily Wear that, well, unhappily, wear that hat for, for a full 12 months. I tell you what, if we can raise 500, I'll do it for six months." do the bare minimum. I've only I'm only just about uh ten percent in, I'm probably not even ten percent towards uh the goal. So anybody that can donate, please do. I just want to get that kind of ticking away. I'm gonna keep sharing it and what have you throughout throughout the next couple of months. Um, the closer we get uh, to children need and the closer we get to Boxing Day. Um just just think of think of the children this year that won't have that great a Christmas that are in care or in you know in kind of uh, poverty and various other terrible situations. Just think about them, uh, and think about how how much fun you'll see me having. Uh, I'll be I'll be putting a diary together of how many people tell me Christmas jokes, songs, all the things that will irritate me throughout the year. So if you want to see me in abject misery, uh, please please donate. It's a worthy cause, and I would really appreciate anything you can give. Uh, I do appreciate it. I've I've started the ball rolling with myself I've donated 50 pounds uh to the cause um I will donate more if if uh, if we you know if we're close to close to the goal I'll definitely donate as much as we need to get there um but please please do and if you can't donate at least share it or retweet it do, do what you can, because I really, really want to raise a lot more than I did last time I did the, the body wax. I'm, I managed to raise about £300, so I really want to kind of push the envelope this time and, and help as as many children in need as possible. Yes, so... Uh, oh, and, uh, yeah, before I go, I also want to mention I've been watching the final two Halloween movies for the And The Podcast Starts uh so i watched uh, rob zombie's halloween 2 last night and a couple of nights before i watched the 2018 version um so so yeah i've i'm, I'm going to do our final podcast for that which I'm, I'm a little sad about but i'm sure we'll be we'll be back for that as well and be doing some more of those possibly maybe on a different kind of uh different horror based um kind of hammer horror films or whatever whatever dan or howard uh decide and luke luke's there as well Luke richards uh, is going to give his two cents as well, uh, and we'll just see how that turns out. But that will be available on YouTube, I will share that. Already um, Halloween 1 and 2 are up there, the podcasts on those, um, so you can see what I have to say about those as well as everybody else. But yeah, just, uh, just uh, give that a try. But that has been my week. Um, all right, so let's move on to the next segment. Okay, this segment uh, is actually from last week. I didn't actually get the. I ran. I tried to fit in too much. Basically, I tried to fit in too much to the podcast, and I ran over it a little bit. So I had to cut uh, a segment or two, uh, which is fine. I'd rather have more content for you than less content. But I really thought it was worth putting this back in because I did say I would do it. Um, So I'm going to put this back into the podcast. So if it does sound a bit different from last week, you know why. So here is a force to be reckoned with. A force to be reckoned with is basically me spotlighting inspirational women. Be it fictional or real-life factual women. um, And the difference they've made to, you know... I guess, feminism um, and the world at large uh, and how we see women, how we view women um, in the big, basically the big picture. Um, so I've selected a fictional woman to begin with. I'm going with Storm, Aurora Munro, leader and member of the X-Men. One of my favourite female characters of all time, a, a woman of intelligence, strength, beauty, grace, you name it. Um, She is one of the key factors in the X-Men and, you know, a, a character that's just grown from strength to strength since her introduction in the 70s. She was created by Len Wein and Dave Cockrum, who are both sadly no longer with us. And she debuted in the giant size X Men number one in the May of nineteen seventy five, which introduced a lot of other characters as well, like Nightcrawler, Colossus, Banshee, Sunfire... Uh, no, no, Sunfire wasn't. Uh-uh, see, um, who else? Uh, no, Banshee. No, Banshee and Sunfire were pre existing. So Colossus, Nightcrawler, and Storm were kind of the new, the new blood, if you will, um, in the X Men. And they basically the X Men before were five uh white teenagers basically so this basically opened up um the whole kind of uh superhero spectrum in regards to diversity um especially storm um being a a black female an african female superhero um was you know not heard of basically at that time in comics um so it was a huge huge uh, uh, change. Basically, these characters came in and saved the the X-Men from a living island. Um, yeah, maybe not the best storyline, uh, but it introduced these characters in the best, most exciting way possible. Um, and she's great. I think she's not had her due in movies. She's not had the spotlight she deserves. Um, it's mostly just her pointing and firing lightning at Toad villains, uh, mostly, uh, and asking silly questions. <laughs> Um, but yeah she's she's a, an amazing character that just doesn't get the credit she's got this amazing backstory as well um, she was born to uh, an American and uh, an African um, and, but she lived in Cairo very early on in her life unfortunately her, the house she was living in with her parents got bombed and she she was alive under that wreckage for days and possibly weeks I think um, lying there with the corpses of her dead parents unfortunately um, and this basically gave her her claustrophobia that's probably one of her famous character traits um, she's you know this this earth goddess who you know wants to be you know out free you know she she Later and later on in her story, she goes to I think it's the Serengeti or somewhere in somewhere in Africa, Kenya I believe actually, more, more likely Kenya I think, and she develops her powers. Uh, she even meets the Black Panther, who's on a basically on a walkabout as part of his training to become the Black Panther in the future. Uh, And they have a kind of little adventure themselves. Uh, I can't remember. There's a comic book about it. I can't remember. I think the initial time they first meet is Marvel Team Up, an issue of Marvel Team Up back in the seventies or early eighties, I think. Um, But yeah, she she basically starts showing her superpowers, um, her mutant gifts, and basically she's worshipped in Kenya as a god. Um, And you know, if she can, she can bring you know. The rain's down in Africa. You know, why wouldn't you worship her as a god? Um, these, she's got these bl- blue eyes as well, these kind of stark, almost cat blue eyes, which is um, unusual as well as part of her uh, being a mutant, I believe. Um, which is one of her... She's As, as, as cool as she is, she's also you know she's very beautiful and a lot of kind of supervillains have fallen in love with her uh, as time has gone on and i can't really blame them um, uh, you know i'm kind of in love with them myself it's um, like doctor doom dracula she's you know she's managed to to seduce them in some form she doesn't obviously doesn't get with them um, but yeah it's she's a she's a credit as well like to her to her team and to her powers and she even a uh, you know, when she came out of the wreckage, as well as a small child, she was found by the Shadow King or Mal Farouk, who uh, who's in who's the villain in um, Legion. If you've seen the Legion TV show, um, and he basically um, has has a group of kind of child uh, pickpockets, uh, and she learns how to kind of break in, break locks, pick locks, and um, and steal and escape, um, <clears throat> and that comes in very handy as an X Man later on in life. Uh, when she's kind of in these kind of trapped situations and, you know, cramped spaces, which obviously affects her claustrophobia as well. So, so, yeah, it's um, it's it's really she's a really interesting character. But the Shadow King, yeah, was kind of her main villain, I guess, uh, for a long time. It was her kind of main. And um, there's an amazing uh, issue of X-Men where you see the kind of um, young Charles Xavier actually save Storm. He doesn't know she's a mutant yet. Uh, He doesn't know her, won't know her for years later properly, but he basically kills the Shadow King in battle, and that experience there convinces him that he needs to create the X-Men, it's not a battle with Magneto, that kind of comes later, but he knows that mutants exist, and there's bad ones out there, and they need to be stopped, and we need to live in harmony with humanity. as best we possibly can. Um, going back, going back to storm off, go, going on a tangent. I do tend to do that sometimes, so I do apologise. Um, she's uh, she's an omega level mutant, which in the comics means if she wanted to, at her peak kind of potential, she could end all life on the planet. Uh, she's up there with Iceman, Magneto, and various other um, other lesser known kind of mutants. Um, uh, this is also a I think the Phoenix Force, which is the the cosmic entity that uh, embodies Jean Grey and gives her all those kind of cosmic abilities in the comics. Not so much in the films. She's kind of a little powered down. You know, she doesn't go around eating planets for fun, um, and she you know in in her most powerful form in the movies she doesn't do that, which um, is going to make the new Dark Phoenix film very disappointing because she's not going to do that and there's not going to be aliens and not going to do that because they wanted it grounded it had to be grounded didn't it oh now i hate it and uh just hate that idea um she again going off topic again uh <laughs> just one tangent into another tangent well done down uh so that, that's how my brain works just whoop. anyway back to storm so she's a bit of a badass um, now, in the comics, she started off kind of this very she loves these she loves plants, she loves nature, she loves all this all life she she, she doesn't take life. like she will absolutely not take a life. She argues with Wolverine until they're blue in the face about you know, she's the, one of the only ones, one people that, one of the people in the X-Men that can talk Wolverine down. like there's a there's a great um, scene in Days of Futures past the comic book where Wolverine goes to stab one of the villains that are attacking uh, Senator Kelly. Um, kind of similar to the, the first X-Men film as well. Um, he's about to, I think it's about to stab the blob or someone like that, or Pyro uh, or Avalanche. One of those kind of brotherhood villains. And Storm says, don't do that. And Wolverine almost stabs her and she's like, go for it. And he goes, um, well, maybe not. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's quite good to see that she's she's well respected. I think quite recently, before he was killed off in the comics, not for very long... Um, they were they were actually in a relationship. They had a, a romantic relationship for a little while uh, until he died, unfortunately. Um, but like I was saying, she started off as this, you know, nature loving. You know, she loves everybody. She's very caring. She's she's a mothering figure as well. And uh, to many of the younger mutants like Kitty Pride and uh, Jubilee in the animated series. Um, but yeah, she she had a bit of a turn in the in the mid '80s. Um, she started kind of getting a bit darker and a bit more kind of uh, uh, for lack of a better word a kind of more wolverine i guess um she started you know kind of just going down this dark path um and eventually this led to her um the basically the she ended up in a knife fight to the death with uh callisto the leader of the morlocks so these are mutants that live underground because they are so hideously they couldn't they can't Basically, they feel they can't live a normal life on the surface world. So basically, Angel is kidnapped, and the X Men have to investigate. And they find out Callisto's gonna, I think she's gonna mate with him or something. I think, or you know, because he was so beautiful, and you know, he is he's a beautiful looking man. He looks like an angel, you know. Um, so I kind of don't blame her, but maybe not the best way to get a date. Um, yeah, so so she. She does that, and and the X Men are tied up. The, the there's no way out. They're trapped, and Storm and Storm's suffering from her claustrophobia being in these underground tunnels and these sewer systems. So she steps up and says, "I challenge you for lead, leadership of the Morlocks, and let's have a knife fight, basically." And and all the X Men are like, "What? Where does this come from?" Um, and Storm is actually quite a capable hand to hand combatant as well uh, as it goes. Uh, because she manages to win and stabs Callisto directly in the heart, um, effectively killing her. She luckily has a Morlock mutant healer on hand, so he can fix her broken heart, <laughs> I guess. Um, but yeah, Storm upped and stabbed, stabbed her in the heart basically, which is and throughout the the rest of the stories, uh, rest of this kind of storyline builds until uh, there's an adventure in Japan with uh, with Wolverine's teammate called Yukio. She's a she was kind of a lover and enemy, kind of, um, kind of villain, hero, badass. You know, she's one of those grey characters, kind of a grey, a grey area on that. Uh, and she's basically has a death wish. She's she lives life to the fullest. She could die at any moment. You know, she lives, loves, you know, fights uh, as best she can and storm kind of goes along with her and kind of and unleashes she's always been afraid to unleash her power like she gets too angry you know storm clouds form things like that she she's always been quite she holds herself back a lot um, so when it comes to this she starts like literally just throwing lightning bolts at criminals and stuff like just she stops caring uh, and this actually leads to her having a very drastic uh change in personality and a drastic change in look she takes on this she shaves her head she has a mohawk she has this punk aesthetic um very kind of 80s um kind of thing and uh, weirdly enough it works um and i think that just shows how strong a, a character that storm is and how well written she's been through all of her years in comics um you know she's it, it it just it just works i don't know i can't really explain it. apparently it was a bit of a joke initially um, they're like oh yeah we'll just do storm as a, like within the kind of marvel comics office to make her a punk but it stuck and it worked it appeared in the comics and it, it stuck around a long time um, she later lost her powers uh, in a really good story called life death um, which was written by I think it's written and drawn by Barry Windsor Smith, who is a phenomenal artist. You should read, uh, Weapon X, um, if you get ever get a chance. It's a, an amazing book. I think we reviewed it on uh, Nerdify, which was a podcast I did with uh, Dan Keatis and Josh Fison, who I do which I do miss doing. Um, that's kind of why I'm doing my own one, and I'll definitely have them on as guests at some point. Um, but yeah, she she um, I've lost my train of thought now. <laughs> Uh yeah, so I, I was basically saying that that um, storm has a life death. That was it. Life death. Uh, is basically forged. Uh, appears who's this kind of, his mutant power is he can basically make anything, which is pretty decent mutant power as they go. I well, just any any he was a he's a Vietnam vet. He's a, a Native American shaman mystic as well. So it's quite an interesting character, and they fall in love. But also she, she realizes that he created the weapon that that basically stole her powers and seemingly permanently as well um so she falls in love with forge and then has her heart broken learning that um and i think there's a life death too as well which not as good but um but still definitely worth having a look and reading up on that um so yeah like i'm saying she was a she's a hand-to-hand com- amazing hand-to-hand combatant so much so that when cyclops had a baby um with Madeline. Madeline Pryor, uh, who later would turn out to be a clone of Jean Grey, I know comics are weird. Uh, <laughs> um, she challenged him because she he she went. He can't be thinking about this child and be you know in the death def- death defying action and adventures that they have if he's distracted and worrying about the child that he would be a liability to the team so storm steps up and goes i challenge you to leadership so and again she's a, she she likes to duel people seems to be her thing just let's have a duel um especially for leaderships as well um and she, uh, cyclops says i'll only use my optic storm says i won't use my powers at all because uh, she's a badass and Cyclops says, "I'll use low-level optic blasts." Uh, and basically, Storm gets the better of him, takes off his optic visor, and says, "You dare not open your eyes because you're point. You might be pointing at all the people you love and care about. So maybe don't open your eyes and admit defeat." And he does, and he's absolutely broken-hearted about. It. He's absolutely gutted. Uh, and Cyc Cyclops is a character that gets a bad rap. I think uh, he's a really he's a really good character. And I, I I, just, again, he's another one in the films that's not been treated with that much respect, in my opinion. Um, I'm just going to talk about one more final thing about Storm. Um, back in the 90s, there was a Marvel versus DC comic, uh, I know. It was it was great, it was amazing. Basically two worlds collide and various characters would fight various characters and the winners were, were actually voted by the fans. The fans basically voted who they thought should win uh, and then they, they wrote the comic basically and we, they had things like uh, Shazam versus Thor, Hulk versus Superman, Batman versus Captain America, Spider-Man versus Superboy. Yeah, maybe, maybe not so much. Uh, but um, there was Storm... Took on Wonder Woman, and at the time, Wonder Woman actually picked up Thor's hammer, so she had all of her powers plus Thor's powers. And Storm turns up, and and Wonder Woman realizes that it wouldn't be a fair match if she had you know these amount of powers. And then Storm soundly defeats Wonder Woman. So maybe it was a bad idea for her to drop Thor's hammer. Um, So yeah, she she, the fans felt that Storm uh, with her power set was with her very versatile power set was better than wonder woman um and i mean it was a bit of an upset i think um like for for myself I like, i probably would have thought wonder woman would would take the win but um but yeah that's how the fans voted and i can see why because again like i said amazing character amazingly written um you know great a great kind of ambassador for diversity in comics. Um, Uh, always has been, always will be. Um, her her comics, her solo series are often very good, as well. Um, I'd recommend looking at the work of kind of Chris Claremont. Um, I think X Men Worlds Apart is pretty cool as well. Um, that's basically when the Shadow King takes over Wakanda, and Storm is basically out in the cold, so to speak, and she has to deal, has to fight her husband, the Black Panther, and and various various other kind of. Wakandans trying to, you know, the Dora Milaje and various various other characters like that. She has to deal with them alone. Um, I think she even fights. I think she fights Cyclops again. I think he's yeah. Some of the X Men are taking control of as well. Um, so yeah, really, really good, uh, really good comic. That so I, I'd highly recommend that one as well. Um, but yeah, great character, um, and a great, great woman, and certainly a force to be reckoned with. Okay guys, so that was A Force To Be Reckoned With, I hope you uh, liked all my musings on Storm, my favourite X-Men, one of my favourite X-Men, definitely. Um, So we're going to move on to the feature presentation, um, as the music indicates, uh, which is part of the alternativity season, or the hashtag alternativity stories. So this is me looking at Christmas movies that again people are celebrating early. So I said I'm going to celebrate it early, but in my own way. So I'm looking at films that are either set around Christmas, going kind of winter time, New Year, um, or that have a, a Christmassy theme or a, a different seasonal holiday, holiday, a Kwanzaa, Hanukkah. Um, you know any any of those kind of included as well. You know happy holidays and all that. So the first one we're going to look at is actually a Finnish film. So made in Finland, um, and it was inspired by a couple of short films uh, that were made that were very popular, and it's called Rare Exports: A Christmas Tale. Now I'll I'll go into spoilers a little bit later, but first of all, the film is basically about a group of hunters in Finland, so in the kind of harsh, kind of mountain area, uh, cold winter wonderland uh, that they live in, um, and I think. From what I understand, they basically hunt uh, reindeer. Um, You know, you might have views on that, but that's what they do to survive. Uh, And they're living in quite a harsh environment, uh, and they've got wolves at the door, literally wolves at the door, um, often. And so they have to set traps and various other things. Uh, And it basically concerns a a couple of kids who, uh, unbeknownst to themselves, kind of discover a. A group, a, a shady organization there's always a shady organization um in these movies and they're basically digging in this mountain side into this mountain and trying to unearth something uh that they may have they may have may not have discovered and basically <laughs> it's deep within this mountain the the Finnish people have trapped santa uh believe it or not. So this Santa is not um, the regular Coca-Cola version of Santa. It is a kind of demonic Krampus-like creature. So a kind of a dark Santa. Um, and these, these young lads discover that he's, they're digging into the mountain to get Santa. There's this great character uh, played by Per Christian Ellefson. I think um, it's called the character's called Riley, but he's uh, the first, the kind of the opening, uh, the opening gambit, the introduction is all in English. So um, and the rest is pretty much in Finnish for the for the rest of the film, apart from a few segments. Um, but yeah, he, uh, he has this great monologue, uh, and he's telling all the he's because he's, he's on the mountain. He's worried that Santa is going to ba- basically kind of kill them all so they've got to be extra careful so he's got this list of rules so he's like you must always appear nice don't swear you know, be very good, we must, or we have a grave to rob, uh, you know, he has this great voice and this great kind of monologue, and, and for like, as a child he was obsessed with finding the real Santa, uh, and he thinks he has in this uh, this kind of Finnish mountain, this uh, winter w- wonderscape, um, and he hopes this is true. Um, and the boys, these boys hear this monologue and they run away, um, so the the I can't remember the other boy's name, but the main boy, the main character is called Pietari. Pietari and he's played by Oni Tomila. And uh, he's a, a lovely little actor, he's brilliant. Um he's got so many uh sections of this film where he is just uh, superb and his this his character is this wonderful um innocence, this kind of childhood innocence to him. Yet yeah. he is his father's a very his father uh, called Rauno uh, played by Jorma Tomila. So I guess they're related. Maybe they are father and son. That's pretty cool. I didn't realise that. Um so brilliant. And he plays uh he plays a very um The Mothers Died. Uh, there's a lot of dead mothers in films isn't there? It's really sad. <laughs> There's just so many of them. <laughs> you know, I'd like to see it uh, turned on its head a little bit now and again, but it just just seems to be quite the uh, it's just dead parents I think a lot, a lot of films just a lot of dead parents. <laughs> um, so yeah, so basically they have a very uh, difficult relationship. He's a very hard uh, man, not very sensitive, doesn't uh, communicate feelings very well and and you know, uh, Pitari, the young boy, is this you know bright eyed, you know, innocent, lovely kid. Um, but he knows he has to kind of grow up and deal with what he has to deal with in this harsh environment. He has to kill animals. He has to to survive in this uh, in this world that he lives in. He has to be a harder man uh, and tougher and and less sensitive in a way, and you know, less good um, and. He's uh, just he's he has such a great arc in this movie, and and he he knows what's going on. He's aware of everything, and he um, everyone else is kind of like what is going on. He's like and he, but in the start of the movie, you see him reading books. You see him reading everything, um, but yeah. Um, so I again, I'm very wary. I'm going to go into spoilers with it, um, so I'll just be I'll be a bit more careful uh, in regards to that. But but yeah. So I. I it's um, yeah. The the story on the whole is kind of it's it's a bit of a slow burn, but it's not that doesn't make it a, a bad thing at all. There's a lot of kind of creepy elements and uh, darker elements. I I describe it as kind of a Burton esque meets, uh, you know, kind of a a Nightmare Before Christmas feel to it a little bit, Uh, that kind of dark wonderment that Burton does very well. Um, A little bit of The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing in there as well, and then an element of kind of the Goonies and the kind of Stranger Things. I've always really enjoyed where where children are the protagonists in a kind of more adult, darker film, Uh, things like The Lost Boys or... um, you know things like that, and um, I highly recommend if you haven't seen it is uh, uh, the Shane Black written Monster Squad, which is a really cool um, kind of love letter to the Universal monsters, and they kind of all team up, and it's kind of this weird kind of adult yet kid film um, there's even a line about the werewolf having gonads so I'd, I'd watch it just, just for that alone uh, actually the way they kill the werewolves is pretty damn awesome as well um, so yeah definitely look that up and it's a Shane Black script so you can't really go wrong with that um, but yeah definitely look that up maybe next Halloween you can look that up or, or earlier depending on your choice of movie but yeah it's a really it's a really atmospheric film it really draws you in it, again like like Halloween it's the the original Halloween by John Carpenter it's it is a slow burn so it's quote unquote a bit not it's not boring but it, you know what I mean it's a it draws you in it's slow in its pace it's methodical and the building of the dread and the the suspense is, is there um, but then it's also got a very light um, you know fun feel to it so it's not too you know it's not too harsh but however it is very ominous and Um, Yes, I'm also there's there's a fair bit of male nudity in this as well. So it's as much as there are children in it, and children are the the main characters. It's still relatively adult. So um, I mean, you don't see anything in too much uh, a good light, but there is a lot of naked older men running around. But I won't I won't spoil I won't spoil any more of that. Um, The music's great, really, really subtle yet effective in kind of um using the mood to you know further the story as well it's not it doesn't overpower it 's not the huge you know building score or anything but it's it's just it's just right and it's just just enough for this particular film i think and and it conveys the harshness there's a lot of you know there's winds howling a lot of the time you know underneath the score as well and things like that uh and it it bring it does bring what it needs to bring to this movie. Um, I'm going to go into spoilers now. I think I've I've avoided the spoilers, so spoiler warning. All right, so yeah, the the story basically, they. Batari thinks he's been naughty by cutting this hole in the fence to see what these these men are up to. I think it's on the border between Russia and. Finland or something. They do talk about Russia for a bit, but I may have got a bit confused. My geography's not great, so I could be wrong as well. Um, but yeah, he kind of cuts this hole open, and, and that's how these kind of this kind of Santa escapes. And slowly, slowly but surely um, all the children go missing. Um, and are replaced with these kind of creepy wooden dolls. Um, which is you know, quite scary. Um so we don't know what's happened to them, we're not aware of that. Um but uh Pitari knows, Pitari knows. And there's a trap uh, that Rouno leaves for wolves, so he has like a little pig's head. So if you're if you're a bit squeamish when it comes to uh, the killing of animals, um i <laughs> probably avoid this movie. Um but there's yeah and uh, it's not uh, it's not a wolf they trap, they trap what they believe to be Santa, this kind of naked, bearded older man, um, but from my what what they discover after is that that's not Santa. That's in fact one of his elves. Even though they look exactly like Santa would, um, it's actually one of his helpers. And the guy who's playing the Santa is so so watchable. So it draws you in so much. Um, Scarily, so even the slightest movement or you know gesture he makes, you're glued to the screen because you don't know what he's going to do. You don't know what's going to happen there. Um, He's already there's one of the characters, uh, the the elders, kind of gets his his um, ear bitten off. So you have no idea how he's going to move or react or. uh, But there is this uh, supernatural feel to him, um, you know, almost. I know I'm talking about Halloween quite a bit, but it is akin to Michael Myers, the way he moves is unusual and and non-human, something other, um, which is, it really works for this film. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Um the finale's great, uh it's a lot of great action set pieces towards the end. So the last fourteen minutes to half an hour, um all that build up, all that slow burn is totally worth the wait. Um uh, it's a lot of fun. It's helicopters involve guns, you know, you name it. Um but yeah it's it's really worth the watch. And uh and yeah it's 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 just a fun it's a fun alternate Christmas movie, but it still has that spirit of Christmas. Um like the the lead character Pitari, is 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 you know is a is great as well like everyone's great in this film there's no there's no bad performances um you know but I was, it, it can be quite i think with a lot of time with um with subtitled movies you do have to kind of focus a bit more you do have to concentrate a bit more and make sure you don't get too lost like you know you gotta put your phone down for for once in a while and just actually watch the film but it does really draw you in it's really fascinating it's well filmed. And yeah, it's an absolute delight to watch, and I really highly recommend it um, to watch something. If you want to watch something unusual, something a bit different, which is what this, uh, my alternativity stories are all about. This is the f- is the film for you, and and yeah, it's it's great. I c- I couldn't recommend it more. You know, four Spideys out of five, definitely. Um, really, really fun, unusual. Um, if you're after you like a darker christmas tale but still have the spirit of christmas there this is exactly uh what you want so uh, so yeah that's that's my review of uh of uh rare exports a christmas tale um couldn't recommend it enough couldn't recommend it it's such it's well filmed you know you name it everything's done well in this movie and it's not long either it's, it's i think it's just under an hour and a half um and it's well worth a watch um well definitely um i don't i wouldn't say again i wouldn't say it's a kids movie with the with the nudity and stuff but um, it's if your kids are a little bit more mature they could probably they could probably watch it um but again, like nothing's really on show particularly, but they are naked. These these older elves. It's I I really like the concept of the elves as well. They were really uh, something a bit different, you know. Obviously, there's a lot of elves that have got you know got like a buddy the elf or you know the the standard elves with the pointy ears and you know pointed shoes and tiny, tiny height uh, that they have. But yeah, but um, if you're into creepy Santas and darker takes on Santa and Saint Nick or. Father Christmas, however you, however you know, uh, however you know him, definitely give this a watch. Great fun, uh, great, great everything. Just good. It was a heck of a Christmas treat for me. So thank you guys for for choosing that on Twitter and on Facebook. Thank you for recommending that. Uh, I'll have to leave Sint, or Saint for next year uh, for when this comes back. But yeah, let's move on to the next segment. Backstage Past! Okay, so this is a segment I like to call Backstage Past. So basically, I like to look behind the scenes of movies that had kind of a troubled production. So uh, they've gone through reshoots, possibly, or um, there's, uh, actors don't get along with the director, um, the producers have issues, money issues, you name it. Any any kind of big problems backstage um, or behind the scenes on a film set, I'd I like to explore. So I always find it quite interesting because the creative process is always uh, it's always interesting to me and in how things get made, why things get made the way they are, and why they're cut, edited, and why they're put into the the cinema in that form or, you know, for example, you know, uh, Justice League with the the digital moustache, as silly and as bizarre as that was, it's actually, you know, the the stories behind those kind of things are really really fascinating. Speaking of Superman, this week I'd like to look at the Superman curse. Now, this is qu- there's a lot of films that have curses behind them, or so-called curses, if you believe in that sort of thing. So films like mostly horror films, like The Omen or The Exorcist. Um, uh, poltergeist, um, I think with with that, it kind of comes from, you know, we're talking about otherworldly things like Satan or da-da-da-da, you know, all those kind of stuff and I, and they believe that, you know, they've been cursed, or it might be things like, um, I, I don't know if some more religious films have been cursed by uh, people of that faith, um, because they're not showing religious figures in a healthy light, for you know, in their in their opinion, or they're making fun of them, Um so I'm not sure. I'd have to research that a bit more and have a look into that. Um, but this one is about the Superman curse. Now, the Superman curse is a little bit... There's a little bit of it that's um, kind of unlucky. So there's, obviously it's very unlucky for some of the people. But there's a there's a lot of people in there that have been involved. It's it's not just necessarily one film or one TV show or anything. It's basically the Superman mythos and the character themselves. And any kind of time they've been... Um, Used on film or TV, or even radio in some respects. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm going to have a drink. My throat's gone very dry all of a sudden. Got my lovely tea here, fruit tea. Yes, there we go. Brrr, wet the whistle, so to speak. So the Superman curse. I'm, and maybe I'm being affected by the Superman curse. Urgh, my throat. It must be the Superman curse. And um, so yeah. So I'm going to look more specifically. At the nineteen seventy eight, the original uh, Superman movie with Christopher Reeve, Marlon Brando, um, you know, uh, Terence Terence Stamp, um, Margot Kidder, you know, the the whole the whole kit and caboodle. That classic classic film, one of my personal favourite uh, comic book movies of all time. And I think that's kind of the. The go-to Bible of of comic book movies. I think that's where you go. You go right. What worked about this? Why is this such a a well-done film? Why is this a perfect adaptation of that classic character? I think Sam Raimi went back to that film for Spider Man, and you know, and it shows. And it, I'm glad he did because that is one of the better uh, Spider Man films that are out there, if not one of the best. But um, but yeah. So the Superman Curse basically applies to. Actors, directors people who worked on the movies or um, or starred in them various people so we're looking at like I'm gonna focus like I said I'm going to focus on the Superman movie f- from 1978 however it, it, the story started before then so people like um, George Reeves famously played Superman in the 50s a very popular version of the character and he shot himself uh, which was depicted in the film Hollywood Land uh, with Ben Affleck playing George Reeves uh, one of the only actors to technically play Superman and Batman, I guess. Um, so he, he um, yeah, he struggled for work. Uh, I think he was a heavy drinker anyway, George Reeves, and he would uh, go on to to shoot himself um, out of depression. I, I can only assume. I don't really know much about his story particularly, but um, but yeah, it goes back to then, and you could argue, you know, that the creators um, struggled for quite a while. While uh, money wise, and I will get into that, but there's yeah a lot of other a lot of other people involved in those kind of early productions of Superman. You know they struggle for work. I think there's there's something to be said about playing iconic characters that where you it's so iconic the character and you do it so well. You know for example, um, you know you play a a Doctor Who, uh, the Doctor, sorry, um, or something like that, and you can find trouble after that being cast as something else. Um, So you may not find as much success or as much work for an actor so there's, there are there are issues, and that's and that could you could argue that is part of the Superman curse, possibly. You know, if, uh, people like Michael Rosenbaum or Tom Welling or uh, Brandon Routh. You know, all these all these kind of actors kind of dipped out or disappeared for a while. Not not in the not in the spotlight. They're still working, obviously. Uh, as as an actor, I can definitely tell you that you know there's long periods where you are not working and you know that's for the good and for the bad but there's you know there's long periods and it's not necessarily like a lot of people I think in the in the Hollywood kind of world people when people disappear they're like did they die what's happened to them where did they go you know I've seen a lot of videos on YouTube recently like there was one about what happened to Carl Weathers and I went Carl Weathers has been working for years he's not gone anywhere you know he's always he's he's always there but it was but that's all that video was. It was just like, where's he gone? Like, there's going to be some sordid story. But I was like, they just went, oh, he did this, he did that, he did this. And I'm like, well, yeah, I know he did those things. It was just a silly video and got me annoyed and wasted my time. Clickbait. Bloody clickbait is what it was. So, yeah, so the Superman curse. Now, going back to the creators of Superman, so that's Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. Uh, they created um, a character in the story, Rain of the superman. So this was kind of like the the idea of the ubermensch uh, at the time and kind of that kind of character that was more than human, but this one was actually bald, um, not unlike Lex Luthor later on, and he was very much an evil uh, character, so he was very much a, a villainous person. I, th- I think from another cl- planet. I would have to kind of look that up, I think. Um, but yeah so from that they were like that didn't really work so they reworked the character into kind of a a man uh, a, a superman for the a hero for the kind of common people so early on superman was fighting you know corrupt unions and and things like that um he would you know he would grab someone's leg and like leap over buildings he was a bit rougher and i think he even killed a few people a bit like batman in the early days um before they kind of you know they kind of cleaned him up, so to speak. Um, but yeah, he was quite rough and ready. And I think Grant Mar- Morrison did a, a recent take on that with the new Fifty Two. I think they he kind of tried to go back to that um, that common, those kind of common problems and the corruption and things that we deal with. Um, you know, obviously, back in the Depression, there was probably quite a bit of that going on when Superman was created. So that was, you know, it's quite a, it was quite you know topical at the time. That kind of hero that did that and. And obviously, being two being to Jewish boys, they probably needed. They felt they needed a bit more kind of representation, or uh, uh, someone they could look up to, or someone that other Jewish children could aspire to be, or um, you know. And and his story is very much the story of Moses as well. You know, um, if yeah, done, I'm not going to recite the story of Moses to you because I'm sure you all know. Um, so there's a lot of kind of that kind of Jewish heritage is built into that character. Um, so yeah, and after, they pretty much signed off when that before that character became a real hit and took off, they signed the character away to National Comics, which would later be known as DC Comics. That stands for Detective Comics, believe it or not, because um, that was Batman's first appearance was in Detective Comics. Both both Action Comics and Detective Comics are both still running. In fact, so one of the some of the longest running comics of all time. Um, so yeah, I think I think I want to say that there was the one thousandth issue of Action Comics came out recently. there was a big kind of bumper edition uh, that came out. Um, so Superman's been around a long time, but yeah, before that character picked up, Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster sold the rights to the character because they they just didn't think it would be that big a hit. But it was, and it took off uh, like you know faster than a speeding bullet. Uh, You know, it's just you know soared up, up and away, so to speak. Um, And they couldn't get any money from that character, any any uh, royalties because they basically sold off the character, unfortunately. But they did do all the work. Um, And now nowadays, it's a bit more accepted that comic book creators have often be screwed out of money and royalties and opportunities work because the because they, they've sold the rights to they, they made that character for a company. you know um, Roy Thomas, a very famous Marvel uh, writer, would often he knew this so what he would do was he would take an old name of a character and rehash them. Um, so for example like the Black Knight, Or or the vision during his Avengers run, he would take a a character's name and do a a new spin on it, much like DC did with The Flash and The Green Lantern back in the 50s. That's what he was doing in kind of uh, mid to late 60s. So that way he didn't have to pay, you know, he wasn't giving away good ideas and giving away good characters. Um, He could keep some of his, you know, more original ideas for himself so he could do some creator owned work. Um, which most most comic book ca- comic book creators now do is pretty much all create around work because they need to earn the money. Um, even Bill Finger, who famously created more of Batman, than Bob Bob Kane really, you know, came up with things like um, Jerry Robinson as well created a lot of the uh, Batman Rogues gallery, inc- including the Joker. Um, you know, uh, I think B- Bill Finger came up with the with the outfit the. Uh, maybe even the Batcave, things like that. There's a lot of elements, the classic elements of Batman Bill Finger did, and only recently, only now, in the last year or so, has he been credited with those, with with creating those things. So it's, it used to be Batman created by Bob Kane, now it's it's Batman created by Bob Kane with Bill Finger, so it's it's really nice to see that he gets that credit. But uh, again, i have gone, gone on a tangent there, they call me Tangent Dan, clearly. Um, but when when the Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster found out uh, that they were making a you know million-dollar franchise movie about Superman, they weren't best pleased, to say the least. They both um, lived most of their life in relative poverty, um, and they also both had failing health. I think um, by this point, Joe Shuster had lost his eyesight or was, um, was in the process of lo- losing it, unfortunately. <clears throat> and um, basically... Jerry Siegel wrote a press release cursing the film, the upcoming production of the film, and National Comics, as it was known at the time, um, for for this move. So I'm actually going to read the the beginning statements of of the the press release. It's very long winded and lots of kind of details. Um, about it. I've, uh, there's a link, I've got a link online somewhere, I will share it. Uh, you can read the whole story yourself. Um, it's got various letters in it. I, f- I found a link, I can't remember the link off the top of my head or who wrote it, uh, but it's got all the information you could require to learn about this. I mean, I even I couldn't, there was so much there, I couldn't even get it get through it all myself in the time I had. But I'm just going to read the opening statement that Jerry Siegel made, so... It has been announced in show business trade papers that a multi-million dollar production based on the Superman comic strip is about to be produced. It has been stated that millions of dollars were paid to the owners of Superman, National Periodical Publications Inc, for the right to use the famous comic book superhero in the new movie. The script is by Mario Puzo, who wrote The Godfather and Earthquake, and the film is to have a star-filled cast. I, Jerry Siegel, the co-originator of Superman, put a curse on the Superman movie. I hope it super bombs. I hope loyal Superman fans stay away from it in droves. I hope the whole world, becoming aware of the stench that surrounds Superman, will avoid the movie like a plague. Why am I putting this curse on a movie based on my own creation of Superman? Because cartoonist Joe Schuster and I who co-originated Superman together, will not get one cent from the Superman super-movie deal. Superman has been a huge moneymaker for 37 years. During most of those years, Joe Schuster and I, who originated the character, got nothing from our creation. And through many of those years, we have known want. While Superman's publishers became millionaires... Sorry, my Twitter's going up. I'm I'm blowing up. Honestly, every time I do a podcast blows up. Where was I? So, we have known want. While Superman's publishers became millionaires, read the following and you will get some idea of how it feels to create one of the most successful fiction fictional characters of all time and be cheated out of your share of the profits. The publisher of Superman comic books, National Periodical Publications, Inc. killed my days, murdered my happiness "...choked my nights, strangled my career. I consider National executives economic murderers, money-mad monsters. If they and the executives of Warner Communications, which owns National, had consciences, they would right the wrongs they inflicted on Joe Schuster and me." So, the creators of Superman cursed this movie. Um, whether you believe in curses or not, they did say that, and they did, well, Jerry Siegel did. And they, unfortunately, bad things have happened to cast um, people surrounding the film and and many other things. Famously, Christopher Reeves, who played who played Superman, um, is uh, famously had a horse riding accident um, during an equestrian show, uh, equestrian cross country event, and this paralysed him from the neck down. Uh, he then. Uh, suffered recently, uh, recently, 2004, um, a heart failure which was stemming from the medication he was on and uh, basically he died unfortunately. Um, He, before, obviously after this happened, he probably embodied Superman more than ever. He never gave up. He became an advocate for for stem cell research and various other things um, you know for he became a spokesperson for you know anybody that had you know a disability. He kept on working so hard uh to do those things and to to bring awareness to these issues and to to fund things scientific you know discoveries and various other things. He embodied that character he truly was a a great man a superman um for, for all and everybody and he was a wonderful film star and terrific actor and and he is very, very well missed and he is one of the the main uh, victims of the Superman curse. Um, Margot Kidder, who played Lois Lane in the films, um, she is quite famously known for having, uh, I think in the, in the 90s she had a bit of a, a nervous breakdown and she ended up homeless. Um she says here that she was a, she was in a manic state. she threw away her purse because she believed there was a bomb in it and imagined her ex-husband was a CIA chief who was intent on killing her. Um, she spent four days wandering from one place in the city to the other. She told people uh, she recalled she recalled how she was taken in by a homeless man named Charlie who fed her and gave her a place to sleep. Uh, in a homeless encamp- uh, encampment under a freeway overpass, she said that another homeless ma- man had tried to rape her and knocked out some of her teeth. She eventually turned up in someone's backyard in the bushes, telling the homeowner, "I may not look like it, but I am Margot Kidder." Um, she was she was retrieved by the police, who found her and took her to a uh, uh, a mental ward uh, or a, a mental health center uh, to help with with that. Um, she was severely depressed and had very various other kind of uh, problems. She was then after that she was medicated and she was kind of um, she worked her way back to um, feeling better and and worked on her issues for a long time. Um, she again she became a spokesperson for mental health uh, in in performers and in in all walks of life. You know people dealt with much like uh, Carrie Fisher as well um, you know a wonderful wonderful person a fantastic actress um, if you haven't seen uh, Black Christmas uh, she's I think that's probably my favourite role of hers she kind of plays the stereotypical kind of um, bitch in that um, this kind of sorority girl um, and she's she's fantastic in the role and I, I'm sad to say I've not seen much other much more of her work. I did watch Halloween 2 the other night she is in that. I thought it was it was nice to see her in that film. Um and she played a psychiatrist so it's something obviously. It was quite good that you could kind of she was playing that kind of role because I think she probably treasured that in a way of, you know, looking after people with psychiatric problems. So she probably quite enjoyed that role, I imagine. Um but sadly she she committed suicide uh, earlier earlier in the year, I believe. Um which is, I imagine, is due to um, her mental state, unfortunately. But uh, again, a, a spoke a great spokesperson, a great person, and it's somebody who actually, you know, embodied the the character in their life and and on film so very well. Um, so it's it was definitely sad to hear about that. Um, moving on to <coughs> Marlon Brando, who played, uh, who basically played. The alien father of Superman, so uh, Jor-El, uh, so his Kryptonian father. Um, now he's been; he was on the decline for a long time. He kind of became a little, uh, kind of a lazy actor, or kind of a bit selfish. Wouldn't learn lines and various other things. So he was kind of. It wasn't he wasn't great uh, a great actor as he used to be um, in regards to uh, you know Jack Nicholson didn't want to work with him he was very disappointed because he was one of his heroes I think it was I want to say Six Easy Pieces or something like that I think you um, can't remember oh, was it Missouri Breaks might be Missouri Breaks actually um, they worked together on that film and he just he was just doing uh, even even on Superman he even was. Using uh, idiot boards or idiot cards with all his lines on, um, so he would just read them off off that and do his best acting. But he was also the best actor, you know, one of the best, most prolific, uh, iconic actors of all time, you know. Um, but unfortunately, the main the main thing that's attributed to the Superman curse in regards to Marlon Brando is that his son Christian, um, basically. Had some severe mental issues himself, and shot his half sister's, uh, that Cheyenne, uh, her boyfriend in nineteen ninety, and this led to ten years uh, in prison, and, and then his, and then Marlon Brando's other daughter is is uh, committed suicide. Um, it might be the same daughter actually. Um, so this led to him being more and more reclusive, uh, and then he died about three months before before uh, Christopher Reeve did um so yeah so that's another that's just a horrible horrible situation to for a father to be in, be involved in and and it's just yeah just tragic all of this is really tragic but those those are kind of the main I'd say those are the kind of main victims in in the in the regards to the original film um oh no sorry the uh, I think it was I want to say it was Lee. Lee Quigley, that's it. So Lee Quigley played the baby version of Clark Kent's Kal-El Superman in in the movie. So when they open up, you know, the one that's put into the pod and, wait, and when he rides on Earth, um, when the Kents pick him up, that's that's uh, Lee Quigley there. Uh, and he had um, he had a lot of issues with with substance abuse, uh, which, unfortunately, he died at the age of 14, uh, which is really, really sad, Um in regards to that but that's the yeah that's the main kind of film in regards to the the tragedy that's attributed to to those various the the film and in regards to jerry siegel's statement that the film was cursed um but it does uh, it's quite expansive like what what we consider what the, the superman Curse is considered again. You could consider career failure. Ben Affleck, for example, recently he he's once he filmed Batman vs Superman, his marriage failed failed, and he's currently in rehab. So you could argue maybe that's part of the curse. Um, but it, it depends. If you're superstitious, possibly curses do or do not exist, or it's all just happenstance. It's just unlucky. Just people have been very unlucky. It's just. It's what interests me is it's just coincidentally all these awful things happen, um, and it you know and the first time the curse was mentioned was really properly by by Jerry Siegel himself. Now Jerry Siegel did eventually win over DC, and they eventually would uh, Joe Schuster and himself would get a pension. Uh, I think it was two hundred thousand dollars a year um, for the creation of Superman. Um, you know, routinely until they died. and I believe the families uh, still get some royalties for the the characters that were created. Um, so that's uh, that's something. So that's one of the good things to come out of that that p- public uh, statement that he made. Um, I, I truly hope that that has nothing to do with all this unlucky, uh, you know, this bad luck that's befallen everybody else in regards to the film. There's a few other ones, a uh, few other people that were kind of technically victims of the Superman curse um Richard Pryor uh, starred in Superman 3's Gus Gorman and he not lo- not long after he finished the film I think he was discovered that he was gonna he was suffering from uh, multiple sclerosis and and that was up until he died he obviously suffered with that for a very long time um, but I think a lot of people will attribute that to his, his drug use and various other things but um, not not a Superman curse and you know I'd probably say the same thing um it's it, you know i i don't believe I don't believe in the curse personally um but it, it's interesting just to look at and the the coincidences that that surround them and the the horrible horrible situations that the stars found themselves in for a long time um but yeah apparently even even Superman returns was because that was slightly based off of um, the Richard Donner version. It was kind of a sequel to the Richard Donner version, I believe I think it was a sequel to Superman and Superman Superman and Superman 2, I believe. Um it's not a great film, I'll be honest. It's not it's not one I enjoy. I don't like seeing Superman as a creepy deadbeat dad. Um I do like Brandon Routh, I like a few of the other actors in there, but just it just a yeah, poor film. A poor showing for Superman. Um so apparently Brian Singer stated that the curse affected the DVD team of Superman Returns. So the people producing the DVD, uh, one of them was mugged, one of them fell down the stairs, and various other things kind of happened. And he said they absorbed the curse um, for for the rest of the film. And Kate Bosworth, who played Lois Lane in uh, Superman returns. Um, yeah, she wasn't very good. Uh, she wasn't, she wasn't the best. Lois Lane. She was probably a bit too young. I think maybe or a bit too. I don't know. What? Whatever, whatever. But she's she claimed this is this is the ridiculous one. She claims that her the breakdown of her relationship with Orlando Bloom was due to the Superman curse. Um, yeah, I don't think you're a victim necessarily in regards to the rest of them. The rest of the people that are supposedly part of the Superman curse, Kate Bolsworth... Um, and in regards to the awful things that have happened to them I think it's kind of a bit flippant that you've said that one relationship didn't work out and you've like oh the Superman curse you know Mm, I don't like that comment it makes me feel uncomfortable in regards to everything else and all the other people that have suffered but what do you think tell me uh, let me know uh, on Facebook and Twitter and you can you know we can discuss it further but I, I don't believe there is one i just think it's just a slew of bad coincidences but i do, i do think it's interesting to to look at and to you know um but if you believe in it tell me and uh, make your argument known uh, maybe there's other people i haven't mentioned that you you think uh, have suffered from the superman curse you know uh, people i don't know like maybe dean kane terry hatcher you know all the people in all the different versions Um, Animated versions as well, maybe, you know. um, Who knows, who knows. But yeah, just uh, discuss it. Uh, uh, Quiz all over me. All right, it's back to the dirtiest part of the podcast. Quiz all over me. So I've got uh, a few questions. Not as many as last week, but it's fine. uh, Let's see what we've got. So, my friend Andy Knowles, Angry Andy Knowles, uh, he has sent him a couple of questions in. So his first question was, if... Marvel remade Blade within the MCU, either as a film or a Netflix show, would you like to see Wesley Snipes back or not? If not, who would you cast in the role? I um I'm a big fan of the Blade, the original Blade films. First two are are great. Third one not so much. Um but he's he's a phenomenal character and they he was you know, he ushered in, arguably ushered in the the, the phase of comic book movies that we're still living through now, like the real resurgence of taking comic book movies seriously. You know, a year after, you know... Batman and Robin almost killed it dead, you know. And uh, it's horror, it's serious, it's you know, it's it's funny, it's yeah, it's great, it's just uh, fantastic. And Blade Two is Gamero del de Toro doing his uh, his his greatest some of his greatest work in my opinion. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's he's a great, and I'm kind of a cult movie fan, you know. So I I quite like he's a Wesley Snipes is great in Demolition Man if you've never seen that. I uh, Highly recommend that. Panish, uh, Passenger Fifty Seven great as well. Um, he's just he, I think he's a quality actor and no matter what you think of his, you know, tax dealings or what have you, um, he is a he's a great performer and I, I do love him as Blade. Um uh, so I would like to see him back. Yes. If he wasn't back, who would I have as Blade? How but, i mean how about um Daniel is it Daniel Kalua Kaluma? Let's say Kaluma. Um he's he's a phenomenal actor, I like him. I think he's great. Um younger blade might be more interesting but yeah let's go let's go with let's go with him uh, and he also asks another question which is what is your opinion on the cancellation of iron fist and luke cage especially seeing as Daredevil season three has become a huge hit. So I thought Iron Fist season two was a lot of people thought it was better, but I actually thought it was worse than season one. It was uh, it was just bland, just really bland. I didn't. It was like oh, there's a gang war. Oh, it's really interesting, and just everything about it just screamed blandness and spoilers. Um, it just Danny's just not been treated very well I don't think he's been written very well uh, I I think that I I even wrote an article for Nerdify on how to fix um, Iron Fist and uh, obviously they didn't read it because they didn't take anything on board, but why would they? But um, but yeah, it's just it was really poor and just uninteresting. I, it took me... usually I will do Netflix shows in a week or so, maybe two weeks. This took me about a month to finish. It was that hard. And it was two episodes less than usual. And it still took me that much time to, to finish it because it was just boring. Boring, boring, boring. I did like Typhoid Mary. I like the idea of introducing Typhoid Mary. I thought she was really good, but everything else was just dire. Um, Luke Cage, I really liked season two. I thought it was really interesting. I liked the whole Yardies, um, the Jamaican kind of storyline. I thought it was really cool. Um, And I like the end. I like how it ends. Um, Really interesting. I was hoping that they go some interested in seeing where they'd go with that but uh well, we're not getting it i hope that they are in re- i hope that maybe they're going over to the disney plus um streaming app or that maybe we'll be getting a combined show of Iron Fist and Luke Cage because that's what i really want because i think they really the two actors really bounce off each other and the characters have a great relationship as well so um i want to see more i want to see more of that and yeah so maybe that's on disney plus as well that could happen that's a possibility um, and Daredevil season three, just just the best, just absolutely knocked everything out of the park with that show. You know, it's the it's the closest I'm going to get to Daredevil: Born Again, which is my one of my top five comics of all time, probably. Um, just so good. They, they had all the they had a lot of the elements that were not included necessarily in Born Again, but they've taken you know they introduced Bullseye in a great way. Glad Vincent D'Onofrio came back. Uh, Maggie was a great addition. Um, Maggie Murdoch, and yeah, just amazing show, but um, hopefully we'll see those characters again. They did say they would return the characters in some form, so uh, so I certainly hope so. Okay, next question. So this is from Dan Keetis, or at DL Keetis on Twitter. So what did you think of Dead Season 3, and where does it rank in terms of... I've kind of already answered that, haven't I, Dan? <laughs> um, yeah, just so good. Um, brilliant, brilliant characters, brilliant storylines you know, the fight scenes are just incredible, like, it just, it takes me back to like, I liked season two, to be honest like, it wasn't a terrible terrible season, like, the first half's really good, yeah, and I think Hander are good villains, I think they were treated well, um, and I think I said on the podcast, like, um, how how entertaining it all was but, um but yeah, it's, it's, it's you know it's it's just too good, it's just too good for words, you know, and that's why I'm struggling to uh, to uh, to to relate that into words. words. Um, but yeah, it just it took the best elements of Daredevil and my favourite characters and spun me a, a new yarn on uh, the existing. I I, I really liked. Uh, I think we have a Hulk did an interview with. Um, oh God, what's his name? Oh, the cop. Um, Nah, no, I'm drawing a blank. I'm drawing a blank. Someone's shouting at me. I'm sure we have a hawker shouting at me, because um, they interviewed the guy who played him. And he he was a great addition, like totally from what I know, a totally original character. Um, but I really liked his arc and storyline. I think it was great. <sighs> nah, no, I'm drawing a blank. No, no, I can't remember his name. Um, but he was a re- he was a really good character as well. But yeah, um, but yeah, it's, it's all good. It's all good. Okay, right. So moving on to so Jack and the Geeks talk or at Jack Geeks talk. Uh, what is your least favorite Spider-Man comic outfit? Oh, this is a thinker. What's my least favorite one? I think it would be Spider-Man twenty two eleven, which is an <laughs> we were talking about twenty Spider-Man twenty ninety nine earlier. But yeah, he's he was introduced in that Spider-Man meets Spider-Man twenty ninety nine. I believe in that comic, and he kind of it's kind of a, a blue, red, white outfit, and the he has like these um, mechanical arms, red mechanical arms, a big red mechanical kind of helmet visor thing. Um but to me he looks a bit like a lobster. <laughs> he doesn't really look like a spider, it looks more like a lobster. It's a it's a very odd design. Um I dunno what twenty two eleven is like. I think he's called I think it's twenty two eleven. Um yeah, he's uh, uh yeah, he just looks weird and red and bizarre. I don't know. I think he's part of some sort of time police or something um but yeah might maybe, maybe the time variance authority i think that's that's the marvel version of the time police um but yeah he yeah he just looks weird just looks a bit too weird uh, that's the only one that's coming to mind at the moment just yeah just uh, you know could have just been a lobster man lobster man yeah it's not as um it's not as appealing a character i, I, I imagine that was one of stanley's ideas lobster man but yeah so yeah so the, i think it's spider-man 2211 i believe um something like that Okay, moving on to the next question, so that's from the Geeky Nerd or at one Geeky Nerd on Twitter. So trailers. Welcome because they add to the hype or avoided because of the spoilers. Okay, so I mean back in the day, I think trailers were better when they were older because they weren't they were a bit more teasy. Uh, like they would have a big, they would have a, a, a catchy title or something like that, and they wouldn't really tell you. And they they draw you in those kind of trailers, the ones that aren't as um, aren't as explicit or don't show you as much. Um, as much as I look like, like, the, and we'd only had access to them at the cinema. We wouldn't have them, at, you know, if when we didn't have TV, we didn't have the internet we didn't have access to the trailers we can't you know watch them and watch them over and over again and decipher them and and pick things out and you know minute by minute frame by frame we decipher them and which is a lot of fun for a lot of podcasts and various people find that uh, fun to kind of spot things and try and work out like i do the i do the same thing with like behind the scenes photos as well and information but um but yeah like those trailers back in the day were were better in my opinion i'm i'm a big fan of old trailers that's why i include um certain older trailers in this podcast as well because i I think they're kind of cool there's something about them that i quite like the kind of kitschness of them but um but yeah the more modern trailers have been more spoilerific i mean look at some of the sony spider-man trailers they're ridiculously spoilerific i know josh from nerdify he had a big problem because he was just like all the trailers just spoil the whole movie um, and I think that's true of some. I think that's true of some trailers. But if you look at the Star Wars one, when Force Awakens came out and when Last Jedi came out, those trailers are really good because they draw you in. They really draw you in and get you excited. And you know they play the thing, you know all the themes and everything. Um, they draw. They really do excite me and get me drawn in without telling me anything. So for me, those are the best modern trailers. Those Star Wars, Episode Seven, Episode. Was it no episode nine, ten? Uh, whatever episode we're on. Uh, those <laughs> Force Awakens, Last Jedi. Those trailers are what trailers should be now. They just draw you. We like Spider Man characters. We know what he's going to do. We know his thing. We know what what he's about. You know, we don't see every battle or every sequence that he's in. Um, I don't. I don't imagine. I. Don't, I think the MCU, the Spider Man Homecoming trailers were good as well. They weren't too spoilerific. Um, there's some good twists in the Spider Man movie, but yeah, so. Uh, I'm kind of undecided a little bit. I don't know how to answer that. Really, um, I think there's good and bad things about both. I think, you know, I I try and I try and actually avoid spoilers. I know Andy Knowles who asked the question earlier. He he would go to a cinema and put headphones on to avoid uh, trailers spoiling things. Which I think again it's a bit extreme, <laughs> but um, but I understand it. I get it because you can. I mean, you want to be surprised by a film. You want to be. Drawn in, and you want those twists to come unexpectedly. You want to to experience it. You know, I I a lot of people had an issue with Last Jedi, but I I loved it. I had a, I had a great time. I felt like a Star Wars movie. A lot of people told me that I'm wrong, um, because that's what the internet's about, and <laughs> people have opinions, and they they want to tell you that yours is wrong. Um, but I, I love that film. I thought it was great. I thought it was, it, it was one of the films that I've been to more so than Infinity War. Star Wars: The Last Jedi I felt like a cinematic event uh for me. So so yeah, so and maybe that was because I wasn't those trailers didn't spoil all that for me. Um but yeah, I, I think it depends how trailers are made. It depends who is making the trailer. The people who make the trailers get they get a ton of footage and they have to cut that together in a certain way to make it seem like a narrative to seem interesting. And to do it. it, the directors aren't really involved, I don't think, or they, I'm not sure if they have a say-so necessarily. Maybe they do more, adi- more nowadays, because that's more important. But yeah, I... Yeah, I, c- I can't really say either way. I'm going to... Uh, I'm not going to answer the question, basically, because I can't. I don't know what to say either way. But I there's good and bad things. There's good and bad things, and I think... It, I'm going to say... Uh, no, I'm going to leave that unanswered because that's just the way I roll. I can't. It's there's too many variables in that question for me to fully say yes or no on either. But thank you very much, uh, geeky nerd, for your question. So we have a Hulk. Uh, at we have a Hulk pod on Twitter. They would say, would you like to see a Daredevil, Daredevil, Deadpool, Spider Man crossover with Tom Holland and Ryan Reynolds, or uh, would it, would it work? No, sorry. Would it work, or would it dilute Deadpool's humor? Now, I they've recently announced that they are making a uh, a PG rated uh, Deadpool two. So they're going to cut that into a film <laughs> where uh, with um, so <laughs> it's going to be like Princess Bride. They've got Red Savage and Deadpool, um, like. In the in the in Princess Bride, he's he's being read his story by his grandfather. I think he's played by Colum- Columbo Peter Falk. Um, and in this, it's a very they're obviously doing an homage to it. Um, and I think there's quite a lot to be said for Deadpool trying not to swear and yeah. There's a great episode of the Ultimate Spider-Man. Not my favorite sh- cartoon show, but <laughs> Deadpool's in it. Deadpool is in it, and he's like, I'm gonna unalive them. And he's like, "You're gonna kill them." And he's like, "No, I can't say kill. Unalive. you have to say unalive because of the because of the censors." And so I think there's a lot of humor to be had there by him trying not to, trying to be PG but not being PG. Um, you know, he, you know, he's trying not to be violent. So he's trying to do do things the good way. And Spider-Man constantly has to say, "Don't kill them. Don't do that." You know, kind of. I think there's a bit of fun to be had there. You know, things can be done off screen. There's 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 clever ways of doing. Humour and violence, you know, there's ways of editing and doing a certain joke without it, you know, offending the censors. So I think there's there's fun to be had there uh, with a character like Deadpool. Um, Yes, would I like a more slightly adult one as well? Yeah, I'd take that. Um... But then again you'd have the issue with Spider-Man as well as Spider-Man. Do we want to see Spider-Man in an R-rated movie? Do we want to see I mean I love I love the darker Spider-Man stories like Craven's Last Hunt, you know, uh, like Back in Black and things like that. I I like I really like those stories. I like when we get an angry, darker, um, more depressed Spider-Man because it's such a change, such a dramatic change. You know, S- Spider-Man is being serious when he stops telling jokes, you know, you know he's in serious dire straits. So um so yeah, um, but I don't know. I don't know if the cinema going audience would respond to that. They might be like, "Ooh, you're being like DC, trying to be like DC, edgy and dark and cool." You know, you know. But I, either way. But I think I think I'd prefer the, the PG one where Deadpool is restricted and it has to and is making jokes. And, and the comedy comes from him being restrictive in, in regards to violence and language and what he can say and what he can't say. And and there, there could be jokes about Spider-Man being 15 years old as well, things like that, 16 years old. I think there's a lot of humour to be played with in a PG-rated uh, movie. Um, so yeah, so I would go with that one over the R-rated version. But uh, And I think Ryan Reynolds is, is, again, he's doing a PG version of Deadpool, but obviously he's going to be... You know, there's probably not a lot of footage that you can show so i'm quite i'm quite looking forward i hope that it gets a release over in the the uk the uh, deadpool christmas tale or whatever or merry merry christmas deadpool or whatever it's called i can't remember the title but um I, if that does come over here i will go and watch <laughs> um but yeah and that is the final question so We've come to the end of this week's podcast. So, so I'm just going to let you know where you can find us now, or find myself. Again, just me and the elf with a gun at the window, forcing me to make this podcast. So we're on uh, Facebook. So if you search on Facebook, you go uh, at Secret Bores. uh Twitter, we are at Dan underscore Bores. And this podcast is available on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher and Spotify. Thank you again for everybody who has downloaded. I think we're up to 36, 35 downloads. We've got people downloading in Sweden, uh, the States, Canada, um, and loads in the UK. So uh, much, much love and appreciation to everyone who has listened. And I hope you enjoy this one as much as you enjoyed the last one. All right, guys. And remember, if you're going to tweet or talk about us, remember to hashtag join the prattalian or hashtag prepare for Prattle. All right, signing off guys. See you next week.